Hello, Arizona. Welcome to the Legitimate Podcast. We are your hosts, Mike and Rochelle Fulton, and we're here to discuss the business of business to help you get ahead and stay ahead in law, business, and life. Today's show is brought to you by Fulton and Royan PLLC, a Phoenix law firm helping local business owners with real estate, uh, business matters, uh, all kinds of legal issues that come up in the game of small business. You can find us online at www.pnlaw.pro or give us a call at 602-427-5613. Well, let's get right into the show. We have our first guest today, Al Loveland. He's the founder and principal at uh, Strabo, which is a consulting firm. Uh, Rochelle and I have talked to him in his professional capacity, and we're glad to have him today as a guest as well. So, Al, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your street cred and what it is that you do at Strabo. Great. Thank you so much. My name is Al Loveland. Um, my company is called Strabo, and my tagline is helping you navigate your journey confidently. And I define that journey as from when you open your business to when you exit it. And as you know, there's a lot of fun that happens in between. And in there, I focus on what I call the four P's, people, procedures, positions, and performance. And so what we'll do is go back and talk about those four P's and then also how you, about, how you go about talking about those things. Awesome. So if you're a business owner and you're just starting out or you've been in business for a while, um, how can you help them? The key thing is that what I do is go back and kind of help out. Like the first thing is what's the vision of your company and are you achieving it? And then second of all, is I go back and I ask, what's your strategy? And um, is your strategy working well or not? You've in my professional capacity, you work with my uh with my partner, Scott Romeo, and the strategy expert, and we work on helping people create a strategy. And then I come in after that, and once you start working is, is like, do you have the people in the right positions? Do you have the right processes? How are you performing against a strategy? And if it's not working, um, I come in and kind of help you with those, with those operational strategies to help getting things working the way you want. Um, so that's, that's one way. I think a lot of people who become small business owners come into it, and, and you've mentioned being a guide on a journey, and I think a lot of people come into it not really knowing what the journey is going to be like. They may start from a perspective of wanting to be their own boss and seeing themselves in an isolated role, a specific professional role that they've had, and then wanting to have a business that does that thing. Whatever thing it is that they're used to doing as an employee, they want to have a business that does that thing. And what you find very quickly when you try to do that is that there's a heck of a lot more to being a business owner than doing the thing that your customers come to your company for. Uh, and a whole lot more than doing the thing that you as an employee used to do in that industry. And I'd be interested uh, to hear what your thoughts are as someone who guides people, many of whom may be having trouble with that process. What are the hardest parts that you see when someone starts off on that journey into being a business owner, what is it that trips them up that they're not expecting? The one thing that I always talk about is what I call 168 management. There's only 168 hours in a week, and you've got a business to run, but you've also got a family to raise, a community to serve, and maintain your emotional, spiritual, and physical health. You've got to do all of that. Excellent. And what happens after a while is that the business becomes all-consuming, and then you have to learn how to get work done through others. And what I do is kind of try to go in and say, how much time do you have? Where is it allocated? And then the other thing is that once you start doing things the way that you want them to do, and as your work grows, time doesn't grow. You don't grow. 
you have to begin to, to build that next position for yourself and then to be able to get work done through others. And that's another challenge because a lot of times, you know, you guys know from, from having employees before, you've got to think. Nope. <laughs> Unfortunately, Al, uh, we've lost your connection. I'm so sorry about that. That's okay. Um, nope. We can hear you now. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I just... So you were talking um, about the back four to the four P's, uh, but then we didn't hear what you were saying about the four P's. That's pretty much where we left off. Okay, what the four P's is is that um, when you got to get a new position, sometimes in big businesses you can't hire the one person because you don't have the cash flow to go out and get eighty thousand dollars to hire a person mm-hmm. that knows how to do one thing. So sometimes you have to have positions where people are doing multiple things. I call them hybrids. They've got to do multiple pieces and you've got to understand if somebody in your organization should do that or you should go out and hire somebody else to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the second piece with that with procedures are is that in processes, sometimes you have people that work in your organization and all that information is in their head. And then when that person <laughs> leaves, what happens? And so you've got to make sure that you have those procedures in place. And then finally is, is that when you have performance, performance of what? In a lot of cases, is is the performance of the strategy. And so when you go back, and that's one of the key things, is when you have a strategy to get that vision done, the strategy is your path. And one thing that I really love to do is to get people to have what I call signpost meetings, that during those signpost meetings is, is you go back and compare, here's where I thought I'd be, and here's where I actually am. And one of the key things that to think about is, is that, you know, when you go on a trip, like you're going to San Diego or something like that, um, you know where you want to be after about two hours, but sometimes you might have traffic. Sometimes you might have car, car trouble. Sometimes you might have your pet with you and they gotta, they've got to go out and, and, and you get hung up. And then you have to make those different decisions. And what I find is it's those decisions that you make along your journey that really goes back and helps you. Very interesting. And those last couple things that you mentioned, a few things stick out to me. And one is the interplay between the lack of documented procedures and metrics uh, and these hybrid positions that you see a lot of in small businesses. When you're a small business owner and you can't afford to hire a new person or even a group of people for each subtask within your operation, you end up having one or two people in your organization early on who are covering a lot of different roles without clearly defined procedures and keeping everything in their heads because you don't have a way to document it and you don't have a system for even establishing the documentation. They handle intake, reception, (laughs) uh, make sure there's office supplies, they deal with email, they send out faxes, they process mail. I mean, when you're a small business, if you even don't have employees, you're doing that all on your own, including even some stuff you probably shouldn't be doing, like your own accounting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, tracking your own inventory, or if you're an attorney, billing hours and trying to do invoicing. So wearing all of those hats, I think, as uh, an employee and as a business owner is extremely difficult. And at the same time, it is critical to stop and document what all of those expectations are for each of the jobs that you're doing. I think that's the hardest part about growing an organization. And then the other thing that I do is go back and ask, what should you do? What should somebody else do? And what should mm-hmm. you stop doing? Because in a lot of cases, some of the things that you've done before work in the past, but won't work in the future. 
And also, too, there might be somebody out there who has a small business that I know through working with a lot of small businesses that they can come in and do it most more effectively, efficient, and cost-effective to be able to help you do higher-impact things. Yeah. And the other thing, too, when we talked about, you know, the ability to kind of have your, your families to raise community to serve, sometimes if you're doing something 10 to $15 an hour, you might want to be able to go out and playing golf at that period of time or reading those books you have behind you to do things that you enjoy in your life you know, rather than doing the mundane stuff that somebody else can do. Absolutely. And when you're dealing with these kinds of situations, as we've been talking about in a very small business with just a few people doing a lot of different things at once with loosely defined roles, what are your metrics? And how do you, how do you know which signposts you've reached, which mile markers you're at? And I think that ties into our theme for today, uh, and that is how do you define success? Um, what does it mean to succeed in business? And it, it seems that a lot of people, hey, we have a cat. Um, a lot of people going into business have what they think are concretely defined goals. They want to make a certain amount of money. Um, they want to have a certain number of customers or uh, achieve a position in a community organization uh, or a level of respect. And what you find pretty quickly, I think, is that what you thought were concrete metrics at the beginning are far from concrete. And whether you reach them or not has very little to do with how successful you actually are in more meaningful terms. Do you see in your consulting practice, do you see people having a hard time defining what success is? And, and I guess the follow-up to that is, um, how do you help people understand what it means to be successful and how they should be doing that? The one thing that I offer is I call signpost sessions where you go back and you have monthly meetings where you go back and say, this is what you're going to do and this is what you actually do. And then you have a quarterly strategy session where you go back and you look and say, are we on the path where we want to be? One of my favorite analogies is if you guys have played pool before, it's called calling your shot. If you mm -hmm. go back and you call a shot and the ball doesn't go in the hole or it goes in a different hole, it doesn't count. And so one of the things that you're able to go back and say, are our actions and behaviors being done the way that we thought they would? Are they producing the results that we want them to do? And then finally is the environment that we're working in as we anticipated. I mean, we just lived through last year, right? Lots has changed. And so a lot of times your strategy and business plan has changed. And so you make those adaptations along the way. Your strategy is your path to get there. But then you also have those changes that you make. If you think about a sports game, it's those halftime adjustments that you make. And sometimes if there's one or two things that you change along the way that can take you from being stuck to growing the way that you want to grow. I think that one of the parts of being a business owner is you get stuck in your own business in the day to day and you forget that there, you need a strategy and that you need to follow a specific plan because uh, take the case of a bakery, right? You've got someone who makes amazing cupcakes, but they make so many cupcakes that they don't have time to think or even consider training someone else to bake a cupcake the way they do it. And I think as business owner, you kind of sometimes get stuck in the idea that you are going to do this job better than anybody else and that, you know, it's going to take too long to train someone to do it and you're just going to have to redo it anyway. And I think that's kind of a fallacy that a lot of business owners fall into with wanting to let go of the reins. So how do you help a business where the business owner is stuck in the day-to-day -day operation? The one big thing is forecasting and creating those charts for your capacity plan going forward. 
And so if you go back and you'd say, I'm, I'm making 50 cupcakes a day, and then I make 150 cupcakes a day, back when we were saying before about how you break down those actions, well, it takes you five hours to do that now. It's going to take you 15 hours going forward, and you don't have 15 hours. So you have to begin to start planning for that. And one of the key things is when do I hire that person? When do I train that person? And it's all about that planning on that strategic path and also kind of seeing where you're going because that's where those signpost sessions come in and saying, I'm going from five, I'm now at seven cupcakes. Once I hit eight, I'm going to pull the trigger because I'm on the process in place and then you hit it and then you roll. And so it's that preparation and then the opportunity hits and then you're able to, to do things that help you grow. So when it comes to hiring that first employee to take the entrepreneur's place in production, it seems that there are a few different philosophies that float around in terms of how that should be handled and when. And one philosophy is that you do it yourself as long as you can to conserve money and you hire that first person when you absolutely have to. That way you're financially comfortable taking on this employee. The other approach, the converse of that is you hire as early as you possibly can when it's very stressful to take on the salary of an employee and when you don't necessarily have enough work to fill them up, but counting on you as the entrepreneur being able to use your extra time to ramp up the business. And then you hear other people saying, well, it's not that clear cut. You can't make decisions like that. It's complicated. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you hire early, hire late, or is that something that can't be generalized? I don't think it can be generalized. It, it gets back to that 168 management, yeah. what you have going on in your life. If you're a single guy like myself, I might go the way of being able to keep things on myself because I, I have all that time to work. If I've got a family, if I've got children, if I've got things that I want to work on and I want to take a risk, um, I might go to the latter piece. Each business is very unique by the people that are there. And then also, too, it's it's those sessions where you're going back and you're looking to see what you're forecasting and the rate of growth that, that, that you think is going to happen. And then you go back and you make your best decision because running a business is all about great decision making. And it's kind of having those that intellectual vision to be able to see the future and about how you're able to make those adjustments and how those things begin to flow. Because sometimes, you know, you might go back and say that I expect 50 cupcakes sold. But you might show get on a TV show like this, and now you're up to 500 cupcakes being sold. Because a, yeah. a lot of times when you go on those Shark Tank shows, it destroys the business because they get more than what they can handle. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we talked about before the show, we talked about your book of the moment. Um, tell us a little about what you're reading and uh, well, what you're getting from that. I'm just I'm reading a biography of James Madison. And um, a, a couple interesting things. Rochelle said, how can a biography kind of help out with you know, business owners. And the great thing about reading biographies about people is you're able to read about what happened in their lives and where they were at certain points and how it actually turned out and, and how they had to make decisions. And so I kind of have three things to kind of share with that are kind of business um, business stories. Was One was, was that James Madison was there at the beginning, you know, with George Washington um, in the house when um, the first government started. And he was George's right-hand man up until his friend that wrote the Federalist paper, Alexander Hamilton, came in. And then after a while, Washington started listening to Hamilton and not him. <laughs> and as you can kind of think about, you know, as you're starting an organization is, is that you're going to have friction in an organization. And if you've ever read about the 1790s, you think politics is bad today. It was just as bad back then. 
and the story is, is that as a business owner is that you have to, it's not about getting smart people. It's getting smart people that agree with your philosophy and your strategy. Because if you have people that disagree with your strategy, you're going to have a lot of um, food fights and you're going to spend a lot of time fighting each other when you should be fighting your competitors and growing your business. The second of all was, was that Madison was the first number two that became a number one. He was always Jefferson's right-hand man. And when he became president in 1809, he had to go back and he had to start doing things on his own. And then when you start having things, because the one thing that I also teach, um, you have to have leadership, but then there's also a thing like called followership because when there's a leader, you have to lead your group, but then you also have to follow what your boss wants you to do. And there's that hybrid thing that's very tough for people to do because sometimes they want to do things they want to do and not what the boss wants to do. And that was very illustrative. And then finally was, was that um, he had a, a gentleman named John Armstrong, who was the secretary of war, who was very incompetent, a jerk, and really caused a lot of problems. But he kept him. And then the War of 1812 happened, and he had him in a position. And if you remember that, that Washington was burned, and it was because the jerk that he kept on did a terrible job, and thus, you know, those things happened. He fired him right afterwards. But a lot of times in business, if you have somebody in a position that really isn't doing the job, you got to get rid of them because you never know when something's going to happen, like a cat popping up to be able to talk to you about things. So it's like, you know, those are things that you have to be prepared for and you have to be able to see in the future and back to having the people having the right position. He didn't have one. And the final thing I'd say about reading biographies is, is that it also gives you great stories to tell because people in a lot of cases relate more to stories than telling them something. And so sometimes you tell them a story and they say, oh, I get that. Well, you might be a John Armstrong, so I need you to change or I'm going to change you. So that's ways you can move those things in. Very interesting. Well, it was a pleasure having you on, and uh, we look forward to having you back on the show again uh, and continuing to work with you. Uh, it was really interesting getting your perspective on things and uh, hearing about what you see in terms of how small business owners should define success and what their challenges are. So thank you very much for being on. Our next guest is Irene Plosky with Independence Insurance Group. Um, Irene, this is not your first time on our podcast. <laughs> so glad to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, this so regular. <laughs> this is our business owner spotlight, our boss segment uh, with Independent Insurance Group. And we've known Irene for a long time. Irene is uh, our insurance agent because she's awesome. And uh, Irene, why don't you tell everybody about your street cred? Sure. Well, I have been in the insurance industry since 2003, and I have had my agency since 2009. We have helped hundreds of individuals and business owners find their find the right combination of insurance coverage and price. Uh, there's always a way to make insurance cheaper. Uh, our goal is to find that right combination of coverage and price. We don't want people to overpay either. We are an independent agency. We represent over 50 different insurance companies to shop around with. So this allows us to have several options for our clients, and uh, we look for the best fit for each one of our, of our clients. And um, we are always happy to help um, individuals and business owners alike. Now, I know that you 
write all different kinds of policies or, or get underwriters who write all kinds of policies. Um, we have you covering us personally as well as our businesses, like commercial property, uh, for leased space, a whole bunch of different stuff. But I think what I heard is that you're focusing on certain types of commercial properties or certain market segments more these days. Um, what are you looking for primarily and what's the bulk of your business recently? So uh, we focus primarily on small to medium-sized businesses. So uh, anybody from contractors, we have a lot of experience in social service agencies, professional services, um, restaurants, uh, landlords, so um, investors that own and lease either uh, residential or commercial properties, and uh, also business owners that for whatever reason, whether it's uh, due to prior claims or due to their industry, uh, it's not easy for them to find coverage. We can definitely help. And we also can help individuals on, with their auto and home insurance needs as well. Now, some of those industries that you just mentioned are ones that I know as an attorney have particular difficulties with various types of liability, contractors, uh, social service agencies, um, you know, the, the real estate business has its own set of concerns uh, as a landlord, but especially those types of businesses where you're interacting with customers and doing work that can cause a lot of damage, uh, where you can cause a lot of injury either to vulnerable people or to property that you don't own. Um, those are businesses that need carefully managed insurance coverage. And especially for contractors, often there are contractual requirements on a per-project basis that necessitate special policies or special certificates. Absolutely. And, and it is particular with contractors that quite obviously they don't speak the insurance language, right? They, they, they have to present these, they have to comply with these insurance requirements. They have to present these certificates of insurance and they have no idea what these requirements mean. And that's where we come in. We understand those contracts. Uh, we are familiar with the requirements. Uh, we try to make the process simple and as time efficient for them as possible. Uh, we, we understand that they're better off, and not just contractors, but any of our business owner clients, they're better off doing what they do and generating revenue versus dealing with insurance. And so that's where we come in. We want to be their company's insurance department at an offsite location. So uh, our clients just send us the insurance requirements. We figure them out. We let them know if any changes are needed. And if so, if there's going to be a, a change in price or not. And with the authorization, we just send out everything to whoever's requesting it. We copy of insure our, our clients so uh, they have record of it. And we just try to make it uh, simple and efficient for our clients. How the heck did you get into this business? <laughs> you know, my first job was at a state farm agency. My very first job here in the United States, I'm originally from Mexico, so you guys know, my first job in the U.S. was at a state farm agency. And so I worked for state farm um, for many years. And state farm, as Al was talking a little bit ago, uh, processes and procedures State Farm has down on many things. And so I was able to be given that, that, that education. I was also 
trained by wonderful, wonderful agents that also happen to be amazing people. So I learned a lot during my career with State Farm, but then I discover that you can do a whole lot more being uh, an independent agent. And so I was hired as an independent uh, producer at an agency. And after a number of years, I became the manager of that agency and I was in charge of four agents. And then that's when it hit me. Well, I'm kind of running someone else's business here. I'm pretty sure I can do it on my own. And Sometime later, I partnered up with a, a friend of mine who owned an agency. I built a book of business for two years or so. And when I was ready, I, I went on my own, brought my clients with me. So I didn't start my agency from zero, which made it a lot easier. And, um, uh, you know, we've been, we've been in business for almost 12 years now. Awesome. That's an awesome story of someone going from a number two to a number one. (laughs) (laughs) What have been the hardest parts? You know, we've known you for a large portion of this journey, but uh, what's the most difficult aspect and and perhaps the top few most difficult aspects that you've run into? Um, You know, I think we we have truly many challenges, whether it's uh, the growth of the business or um, your own personal needs or the needs of, of, of your family and your household. Um, there are so many challenges, but I think that successful business owners, we're good at, we're good at uh, juggling a lot, of, a lot of balls up in the air. And so when we drop one, uh, we are quick to pick it back up and, and keep going. We are, uh, we're adaptable. We are... Um, comfortable with change and with challenge and we are resourceful and so that um, that type of personality always helps but golly I'm gonna say that uh, and, and, and I'm sure it's the same for you guys and any of our uh, business owners friends the, the challenge is ongoing uh, there's always challenges and we, you just you just evolve and you just run with it so get used to change and challenge <laughs> so what would you have told yourself about 12 years ago uh, if you could give yourself one piece of advice and go back in time? You know, I I thought about that question, and I am in many ways glad that I didn't know a whole lot of things when, when going into, <laughs> into business on my own. Um, I think I'm the kind of person that if you give me too much information on something um, – it may backfire. So, for example, when I when I have to, you know, have a have a medical procedure, for example, I'd rather not know a whole lot, so I don't overthink it. And and it's and it's the same here. I'm I'm glad I didn't know a whole lot. All I knew is that um, I wanted to do it. And uh, yeah, so it just happened. Just just roll with it. And so I'm I'm gonna say just for other business owners, be open, be open to change and be up for the challenge. (laughs) Absolutely. How do you define success? And has that changed over the years? Do you have Uh, the same definitions now that you did when you started? I guess, I guess in some ways, yes. So success to me is achieving a a goal or goals. Um, So it can be based on many aspects, you know, it can be financial success, professional success. Um, It can be, um, you know, personal success or even, you know, mental health and physical success when there are challenges in that regard. 
Um, so just achieving goals, um, we uh, even even spiritual success as well. So I, I believe that success is an ongoing process. And um, as, as business owners, we we're constantly furthering our goals. So when we when we get to to um, a goal, uh, we move it, we we step it up, and so we're just uh, constantly looking for for new new challenges to to beat. Absolutely. Well, uh, how can people get in touch with you? We've got your info up here on the screen. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, so absolutely. They can call us at 480-656-1036. Uh, we are fully bilingual, so hablamos español. Uh, or they can also reach our website at indieinsurance.com. Uh, our office is in North Phoenix on 32nd Street, just south of Shea. Uh, they can they can come in as well. And yeah, we're just looking forward to helping um, any individuals and business needs make their insurance process easier and more effective and take care of that burden for them. Excellent. Let's see if we can get Al back up here. We had a hard time with the video earlier. Al, are you uh, still there and can we get you back up on video? Yeah, I'm here. Excellent. Al, how can people get in touch with you at Strabo? Um, you can contact me. My email is al at straboco.com, S-T-R-A-B-O-C-O.com, or call me at 480-656-4251. Excellent. So we greatly appreciate having both of you on today. It was a pleasure talking to you, and we look forward to uh, having you on the show again as well as working with both of you uh, going forward on our businesses and uh, helping you help our clients. Thank so you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Mike and Rochelle. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And thanks for our listeners, and we will chat with you next time.